This episode is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. Daily Drip makes it easy to keep up to date on your programming skills. You already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages. What if the hard part of that was already done for you? Sign up for Daily Drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about. Want to learn Swift? How about Elm? Or maybe you just want to brush up on your CSS and HTML. Every weekday, you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. We have a special coupon code just for BuildPhase listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code BuildPhase, all one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means you can try out the Swift topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code BuildPhase to show support for our podcast. Make learning a part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com. I'm going to turn on my video and we're going to see how this works. All right. So far, so good. Yeah. I, uh, first five seconds, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) Clear, smooth sailing from here on out. (laughs) Clearly. What could could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Hey, everybody. This is Jack in Stockholm. And this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Build Phase. I was telling Mark yesterday that I finally got our, our Wi-Fi sucks so bad in here. I feel bad for our listeners, but you haven't heard this yet. But uh, <laughs> our Wi-Fi sucks so bad at the office that I've had to buy Ethernet cables for all of the computers, including <laughs> in this room. I had to yeah. buy an Ethernet cable and a Thunderbolt 2 Ethernet adapter. Right. So that I could... Did we talk about this? Did I talk about this last time? We talked talked about that you're probably going to have to do this because you, like, right in that one spot is, like, targeted dead zone of the Wi-Fi. Like, just does not work. So I did that, and shockingly, it fixed all of our problems. (laughs) Except (laughs) except that, that it takes, like, a minute for the DHCP lease or whatever to set up. So, like, so you... Hmm. So when you wake a computer up from sleep, it takes about a minute before you actually have an internet connection, which is oh, super frustrating. That's weird. Just I'm so at a, I started working at a, a new client the other day, and they have, for some reason in their office, I haven't asked anybody, but for some reason they don't have Wi-Fi. They mm-hmm. just have wire connections. So when I got there and sat down, they had like, ready to go, here's an Ethernet cable with a USB adapter. And... I plugged it in and it was just instantly on. There was just no, no delay whatsoever. And I was kind of surprised. I, I was expecting that stuff's probably going to have to, you know, activate some driver in some right. way. Like I've never plugged in a USB Ethernet adapter on this laptop before, but right. it just worked instantaneously. Right. It does kind of make me kind of pine for those old, like wired internet connections were just so much more reliable than right. freaking Wi-Fi. And <laughs> yeah, you know, it is kind of nice. Like all of our, mo- you know, since, since the, we have Thunderbolt displays here, like all, it's mm. just, we just have a ethernet cable plugged into the back of the Thunderbolt display. So when you're plugged in, you're plugged in and you get Wi-Fi or you get internet through the display. Right. Which is nice. It's a little frustrating to have to plug it in specifically here. And I think we just bought two more cables and two more adapters so mm. that we can do this in, the phone booths as well because the phone okay. the, the the wi-fi is also dead zones in the phone <laughs> booths so like now we're gonna like have a hook next to the door with like ethernet cables and adapters yeah, so yeah. that you you like if you need to go take a call you just take a cable off 
It's so dumb. It's like, what year is this? We're in a, like a very large co-working space. How is this a problem? Somehow we are regressing. Like things are getting more yeah. difficult. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty weird. <sighs> anyway, what's yeah. new? So, like I said, I just started a new client. It's, it's so far so good. It's a very specific thing where I'm just kind of filling in for somebody. Like they have a team member who is leaving and another team member is starting later with a gap in between. So I'm kind of bridging the previous guy and the next the next guy. So, but it's good. It's a, way, a chance for me to sort of try and insert some knowledge in there. The, mm-hmm. They're mostly pretty pretty junior people at this company, which is fine. Everyone's really nice and it's all it's all going great. So it's good to sort of sticks and new things in there. It's basically a company that they make a, it's a fairly simple sort of quiz app mm. that did pretty well right off from the start. And so like at this point in time, they have millions and millions of users all across the world. And so th- what they really doubled down on in going forward with the app a few years ago was said, Hey, let's make this localized, not just language wise, but content wise for mm-hmm countries all around the world yeah so it's like it's enormous in germany and it's big in a lot of places so so it's pretty cool so a lot of the company working there are not developers and not designers they're people who are just dealing with like community management and and the localized questions and answers and things for all the various countries yeah so extremely international crowd half the day i don't hear anyone speaking swedish but rather not even that much English either, but there's a lot of people speaking Russian and hmm. a little bit of French, a little bit of Spanish. It's cool. That's cool. Yep. So that's that for me. I've been looking at, I started looking at core data again, which I have not done for a very long time, really, mm-hmm. it seems like. And uh, Are they using core data? Yeah, they are a bit. Just for like, within the game, you can you can, you can chat with other players and your chat history is recorded in the app, is stored in Core Data. Mm-hmm. So like on their servers, they don't keep a full history. They actually toss that pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. as long as you keep the app installed in your, on your phone, it will keep a history of all the chat you've had with a particular players that you've chatted with. And so you mm-hmm. go back to a person, you can resume that conversation with them. And that's all stored in Core Data. And at first they were thinking, well, they're working on a new version. They said, well, we should ditch this and just use Realm instead. And I said, well, yeah, you could do that, but you're going to want to migrate all the old content from Core Data to Realm, which means you're going to build an app that has both Core Data and Realm in it. Right. So that you can so you can convert all users from Core Data to Realm. And what if someone has the app today and has the old one with Core Data only and doesn't launch the app again for three years mm-hmm. and you want them to still have their old their old conversations, right? So you still so three years from now, you still have to have core data support in your app and with you know, always trying to you know always trying to migrate to realm every user that, that starts up so i said well, why don't we just stick to core data because you have it there and it works and so yeah so that's what we're doing so it's basically the old app is kind of is going to be left behind in place of the new app all written from scratch and C over the course of the past several months or year or something hmm. and what did I say? Written in C? I said, you did say written in C. That's that's wrong. <laughs> it's not written in C. It's written in Swift. Okay. That that makes a little more sense. <laughs> that would have been different. Yeah. No, written in, written in Swift. And so um, I started looking around because I know iOS 10 has some new core data stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's supposed that to be deals with, deals with the top level 
handling of a, a stack. Yeah. And this app needs to support at least iOS 9 for a little while longer anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but I actually found that uh, Big Nerd Ranch has a pretty complete, ready-to-go core data stack. Yeah, they do. The older one. Yeah. But it's, it works nice. It's, you know, it's all it's all up to date, and mm-hmm. they even have all of their methods that they that they implement that are very similar to what are in iOS 10. Mm-hmm. They've marked those as deprecated for iOS 10. So nice. if you're building with iOS 10 SDK, they actually say, "Hey, don't use this. Use the built-in stuff instead." Nice. That's but then, despite that, nice they have touch. more things they've they've added too. So there's there's additional stuff that you can also use. Mm-hmm. So. So this stuff on the their app, it's not stuff that can be recreated from the server at all? It only lives on the device? Right, because some of the chat history, like the server retains the most recent conversations uh-huh. you've had with, with, the, with the player, but not all of it, because mm-hmm. they decided they didn't want to do that. Like it's not, yeah. a, it's not a chat application, it's a game application, mm-hmm. but they were, they decided a long time ago to yeah. just store on the app what the app what the app can store. Yeah. It's interesting cuz like I mean obviously this would have been a much easier solution had they kept the server as like the source of truth on this cuz you could just do mm-hmm. a very simple like has this user migrated to realm yet thing where you basically don't include core data, blow away right. the core data thing, and then re-pull the entire history. And so like the very first time they open the app with the new architecture, it would take a minute to like and pull it in. Yeah. You know, upgrading your database <laughs> is the thing you would put on the screen with a yep. spinner. <laughs> and people go like, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, but but uh, think of all the support emails they would get. For what? Your app is broken. It just says updating the Oh yeah, I mean, if it just didn't stop, sure. <laughs> but hopefully, it would stop within yeah, a reasonable amount point. of time. Anyway, but you know, there'd be there'd be somebody who would have an incredibly huge chat in there, right? They have they're doing quizzes sure. with their friend all day long, every day, and chatting about it, and they've got ten million records in there or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, that's not what they have since they're not retaining all that. So yeah, I was just curious. Could, yep, it's interesting because. I think you and I are used to working in from that end of things in that world where, where if you're going to have right. something you're going to save, obviously you save it on the server. Right. I mean, how many times did we use core data in all the projects? Like yeah. in all the projects that I've been on, I think I've used core data once. Yeah. I thought, but I've used it once or twice only. Right. I honestly think that that's a side effect of really trying to shoot for MVP. Because I honestly think that most apps can get, like, core data is great for either if you don't have a backend, which we just mm. generally, for whatever reason, our projects didn't have backends. Right. If you don't have a backend to store data, or if you need, like, long term persistence for either, like, offline access or for performance. So, like, if you need it, mm. you know what I mean? Like, where you don't want to pull every single tweet that the user has ever tweeted. <laughs> right <laughs> probably makes sense to batch a bunch of that like and, and store it on the device and so but with mvp you know at least the way we've constantly approached mvp that kind of stuff is always secondary and can always yeah. be iterated towards instead of like built out initially yeah that's always thought of as a future optimization like in the future yeah. when we have a lot of users and a lot of content, then we fi- figure out how to cache it locally. Right. And I think that's a reasonable thing, but it's an interesting mm-hmm. side effect that it's like 
there are like a lot of parts of iOS development that I think I haven't touched in a while just because we just never get to that point where we need to deal with it. You know what I mean? Core data being one of those things. Right. Because I, had, I did have one ThoughtBot project that I was working on for several months where I was using core data and that was essentially, like you say, it was not, there was really not a backend involved and it was a Mac app and I was using it basically as the storage format for the document that was being created right. in the app. Which is what right. Core Data was really kind of meant for in the first mm-hmm. place. And for that, it still works great. You know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of the complaints people have about Core Data come from the fact that people are, I wouldn't say misusing it, but they're using it in a way that was not the original use case. It was never meant to be a wrapper around SQL Lite. Right. You know, it was never meant to be, let's stick a million records in a table. Right. You know, it's it's more meant to be, here's a way to deal with document storage in a different way. You can sort of have a document that you can store pieces of it and kind of deal with it bits at a time rather than having a giant object graph that you load in the whole thing and unpack it all at once and then serialize the whole thing and pack it down. You can sort of have a document that is a living object graph on your disk in kind of a database. And for that, I think think Core Data is still, still pretty great. I think I would love it if Apple would do something that is not core data, but that is mm. more along the lines of something like Realm that is really meant to be here is a persistence layer for mm-hmm. a whole bunch of objects. You can just dump them in there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which we could do right now with, with SQLite, but you kind of have to write your own wrappers right. around that. Right. So that's what's going on with me in terms of my projects and stuff. The other thing that I've been thinking about following a lot, which I'm sure you have too, is the thing with uh, the new MacBook Pros and everyone's yeah. kind of Angry. wringing their hands about Angry. doesn't They're... Apple know what <laughs> developers need anymore? Right. Why do they hate yeah. us? And da 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 da. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've been unfollowing a lot of people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, it's the same mindset that, you know, and Apple has been doing this for at least 20 years, you know, I, like the first big thing that I remember, and there are probably more before this, but it was like when they released the iMac without floppy drives and everybody lost their minds. Like, oh my God, are you serious? A computer in 1997 without a floppy drive? What mm-hmm. are you thinking? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, as it turns out, yeah, people were kind of done with that technology. Mm-hmm. And likewise now, the thing is like, okay, it doesn't have an HDMI port. I guess I use that sometimes, but I also can just use a display port. And I guess, you know, within a short amount of time, all the conference rooms I step into will have that little adapter thingy for USB-C on the table, along with the current one that is the DisplayPort adapter. You know, it's like, this is just going to become a, a common piece of of stuff lying around. Yep. And it's really like the SD card slot. That's nice when I need to use it, but man, I don't know when is the last time I stuck anything in my SD card slot. It, it may not even be on this laptop. It may be on the one I had prior to this. I just don't know. Yeah. I, I am, as we're having this conversation, I'm kind of like looking at the things plugged into my laptop right now. And I do have, like I said, like I already have one dongle that's going from Ethernet to Thunderbolt. I've mm. got my power plugged in on this side. And then over here on this side, I've got the USB plugged in for the preamp, right? Mm. My audio yeah. interface. And then back on this side, I have my headphone jack and I do use the SD card slot 
for photography, like, you know, my camera takes SD cards so I can just, it's very nice to be able to pop it out of the camera, pop it in right. directly into my Mac, but I don't care that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'd find a way around all of those things, right? Like, you know, the, the headphone jack is still there, right? Yeah. The headphone okay. jack is still there. So who cares? Because it has four USB-C ports and yeah. It has four USB-C buy, ports. I, I saw on Amazon, I think it was like a, a four port USB hub thing that plugs into USB-C right. that costs ten dollars or something right and, and it's like <laughs> one of the things i really like about the the move to just having four usb-c ports is that the whole thing where like you don't need a dedicated power port any of those four will act as power now which is right. like for me that that is like a constant frustration for me because i'm constantly it's like the usb problem you know how like the usb one and two and three mm. but how how it's like you know, you have to put it, try it three times before you get it the right way. Like right. every single time I'm always without fail on the wrong side of <laughs> my, whatever plug I have, like including right now, right? The cable is going from over here on behind my right hand shoulder around and under the desk and then up and then looping back around to the left hand side of my laptop. Yep. That's annoying to me and like i have to do that a lot right where i'm constantly like wrapping the cable around myself because the plug is off to my right somewhere yep it just seems like a common thing and so to be able to say like oh i can just plug it into this port now on the right hand side and now i don't have that problem anymore is like very nice right yeah same thing here i've I've also got right now also have my power cord snaking across to the other side of the desk what is that how does that happen how (laughs) how does it happen like that's i'm just thinking back at my house every time i'm sitting on the couch the plug is to the right of me if i'm sitting (laughs) on my bed the plug is to the right of me everywhere i go in my life oh i think the only time that it ever is ever on the right uh, the correct side is if i'm recording podcasts at my house and then i'm sitting it like on my island in my kitchen and then Mm. i have it then it's on the and then it's on the correct side but Every other time, <laughs> the wrong side, without fail. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. Have we? I feel like you and I have had our sh- like recording times scheduled after these announcements a lot. Yeah, we've had recently. a couple of these, yeah. Where, where we have to talk about like the negativity in the community right. and stuff, but it's so frustrating to me. Yeah, and, and you know, people, are, people seem to be upset that, well, this isn't using the new chipset from Intel, whatever it's called. They all have weird names. I don't know. I'm not a yeah. chipset person. I don't care. But like, sure, they could be using a newer chipset with slightly faster RAM mm-hmm. access and a slightly faster CPU. But that's not what you're going to notice because all you're noticing when you're waiting for your computer is you're waiting for things on the internet. Yep. Like almost everybody. Sure, there are people I know who are doing high-end. If, if, if you're doing... If you're doing music and video and even photography right. stuff applications, that right. that sure that is stuff to wait for. If you can squeeze that, you know, get stuff twenty percent faster, that's great. But for most people, that's not happening. We could get you know we could get compile time down. Like there's some things that just take forever to compile. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But but it's it's like you know, it's not that much. Like I would it's like machine. it to be faster. And yeah. and that, and and the point is that if you've got an older laptop, you know, older. <laughs> Right. You know, my my laptop is three years old, my current one, and the new ones are, you know, marginally faster than that. Mm-hmm. And if the new upgrade is not enough of an upgrade for you speed wise, then don't buy it. Use the one you already had because it's probably still fine. You know, it's like yeah, 
my favorite line from people is in the same breath is like, why would I buy this new one? My old one is just fine and it's the same speed. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. let's unpack that real quick. One, <laughs> if your old one's fine, why are you looking at a new laptop? You don't need one, clearly. Like, that's not, you know what I mean? Right. Like, it's just like some sort of compulsive You will just want to buy it. Like, right. I just need a new one. Right. And you don't. You Like, I promise you, nothing bad is going to happen to you if you don't buy a new laptop. <laughs> but then also, like, if your old one is fine in terms of speed and memory and stuff, and the new one is exactly like your old one with, like, new touch bar, better ports, better faster like the ports are crazy better like so much better than what we have now so how is that not an upgrade like i don't understand how that math works out to you that it isn't an upgrade because it's the same as my current one but better right (laughs) right like they're upgrading things that people don't see that they want i'll be honest i'm i don't know what to make of the touch bar i don't Hmm. at all i part of that is that like I am a Vim user, and so I am very attached to that escape key. Right, and so this the idea of a software escape key does not thrill me. And then I also don't look at the keyboard when I'm typing. I'm a touch. I I, I try to be a you know do touch typing right as much as possible. So uh, some of the stuff on the touch bar I might not use, but at the same time. I don't use the function keys now, so. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, like, it might be that this gives us some new use cases we haven't thought about. And it's also, I think it's important to realize this thing is going to to light up. It's going to be brighter than the keys around it. So you should be able to, if it is any kind of control, it is sort of like a, you know, a slider or whatever. Or even if it is just buttons, those things are going to be brighter than the keys. So you won't need to, like, I think the, the way you'll perceive those visually will be different than the way you perceive a normal key because it's going to be like you don't you don't need to look at it as much as you're looking at normal keys i did have the thought that if i could take the stuff that's in my menu bar right now that i actually care about which is basically Mm -hmm. just the time and my battery percentage Mm. and have those kind of omnipresent on my touch bar Mm -hmm. i would hide the menu bar Full time because you know you can do that in OS and Mac OS for the past few releases. I didn't know that. I mean, now yeah. you can go full screen all, all the apps, but no, I'm I'm trying to figure out where it is. It's in the general settings, right under Use Dark Menu Bar and Dock. You can say automatically hide and show the menu bar, where it just always hides the menu bar. It always has that full screen behavior where like huh. the menu bar is hidden until you mouse over it. I, I would no abs and I keep that off because I like to see the time and the battery percentage. But yeah. if I could, if I could have those on the touch bar, I would hide the crap. At, like everything sure. would basically be fake full screen all the time sure. for me. I would turn that on immediately. I didn't know that was a thing. That's cool. Yeah. The other thing though about the the escape key, there's actually a solution for that that I think most people don't know about. So the standard U.S. keyboard on the Mac has a certain number of keys, 64 or something like that. There is something called the International English Keyboard, which has one more key. And so basically what happens is the key that is to the left of one on your US keyboard, which is like back tick, that moves down to the the left shift key, left of the Z, is split in two. So on my keyboard, 
I have right next to the Z, I just left of the Z is where I have the back tick, and left of that is the shift. And there's an, so the, the additional key is the one to the left of the one, which used to be where backtick is in US. On international English, that is like the paragraph symbol. It's like the stupidest key in the world <laughs> <laughs> that no one needs. And it's right below where escape normally is. So you can huh. use, uh, yeah. you can use the, uh, one of the things that lets you make your own key maps. Like there's an app called Ukulele that, that does it. Yeah. So you can map that to be escape. That is my plan. I haven't done it yet. But yeah. I, and I, sh- I should I should do it now anyway because I often hit that by mistake That's instead of escape. Exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> and, I, and that is a key that I never ever like. I never want to type that paragraph yeah. symbol. Never yeah. ever in my life. So <laughs> yeah. What a weird key. So that's a tip. So you so instead of buying the U.S. keyboard, buy the international English, and you get one more key which you can then map to escape. The other thing that people I've seen people doing is that there's actually a synonym for escape in Vim where if you hit Control left square bracket Mm. that sends the exact same signal as escape so you could just send that instead the other thing you can do is a lot of people i've seen map jj to escape so that in vim you just hit jj and that does escape for you which slows down your movement keys a little bit like if you're using j and k but you shouldn't be using j and k for movement anyway you should be using other things so so i've had this thought that like I would be frustrated by the lack of an escape key, but one, I there are two, apparently three reasonable alternatives, hmm. <laughs> and two, I would get over it. Like, and, yeah. and then, like, even even then, most of my typing I do on my physical keyboard, you know, at my desk. My right, I have like a on, big no, mechanical a keyboard, keyboard. Yeah. right? So well, if I'm on my mechanical keyboard, who cares, right? At that hmm. point, I'm just smashing my escape key. And it's sending the right symbol, whatever. Right. Yeah, same for me. Most of my work, I'm using I'm using a different keyboard anyway. It doesn't matter. So, because I do have one of these that I that is on order, and my plan for escape is to do the custom mapping, get rid of that dumb paragraph key once and for all, <laughs> re- remap that to escape, uh-huh. and then I should be I should be all set. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I uh, I will let you know. I guess the 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 biggest question mark is of course the touch bar and like what right. the use of that is going to be and how how it works. I haven't really looked at it yet. In ter- I haven't looked at the SDK and stuff. It requires Sierra, and I haven't upgraded yet. Mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> and soon I'll have a new machine that's already got Sierra on it, so what the hell. Right. Yeah, I actually just finally installed Xcode 8.1 yesterday mm-hmm. so that I could do some work. I talked about it with... Mark, yesterday, I don't want to go too much into it. Actually, I actually solved the problem. Mark and I talked yesterday, like I said, and I was running into a problem that did turn out to be a Swift bug. Mm. So I fixed the bug on Argo's side, and there's been a bug open. It's been a crazy 24 hours. There's been a bug opened on Jira to track the actual underlying Swift bug. But it's like we talked about this before, right, about how, like, Swift is that one place where I still run into things and my immediate reaction isn't, oh, I did something wrong. My immediate reaction is, oh, God, is this a Swift bug? And it's like, <laughs> ah, I was right this time, though. <laughs> like, like this changed it actually and it is, broke yeah. and it was a Swift bug. And so it was like very vindicating. <laughs> yeah, I saw you posted something the other day, but I didn't, I didn't delve into it. But I saw that you had something you were the, chasing down. Yeah, the gist, as far as I understand it, is that... When they changed the way 
numbers are bridged. Mm-hmm. They changed something about the way numbers are bridged from Objective C to Swift. And those kind of casts, like you, you used to be able to do any NS number and then just say like as float, hmm. right? And it would basically be the same as doing dot float value on the NS right. number. And so we were using that in Argo. We found it more aesthetically pleasing to do that than to have the methods. So we just did that. And two, <laughs> two of those, specifically two of those broke. Uint and float just stopped working like that. Like he was actually, but he was throwing at exe bad access. So I pinged Joe Groff about it and I was like, hey, this seems like a side effect of this thing. And he was like, yeah. He's like, actually, we probably should just disallow that in general. So after talking to him, I went through and changed all of those casts to be dot float right. value, dot double value, et cetera. Right. And then Adam Sharp, coworker in New York, was able to, on the pull request, he kind of reduced it down to some very simple use cases or very simple test cases that you can see, mm-hmm. like, here's exactly what's causing this. So that is merged into Argo. I'm waiting for one more thing, and then I want to ship a new version of Argo on Friday, I think, that will mm-hmm. include that fix, which is going to be like Xcode 8.1 slash Swift 3.0.1 support, right. and which is basically a bug fix. It will also include we removed optional, a static method optional, which... Mm-hmm. basically marks a decoding operation as failable, like like that it's fine for this to fail. Right. We had removed that because we didn't think it was useful anymore. We're re-adding it in a much more simplified way where it's basically just forces it to succeed. And then Swift Package Manager support I also added. So want to get that out. So I remember using with the operator, there were operators that had a question mark. Yeah, so it's the thing that underlies that. Okay. Uh, or I That's- guess we didn't, I don't know if we removed it or if we just made it private. Hmm. But the gist is that if you, the former behavior of that static.optional method was fairly confusing. It hmm. actually had logic involved. Depending on what kind of failure it was, it would either fail or not fail. And we simplified it. was confusing. It, like it took us, we had to think through it every time to kind of reason about how it worked. And it was just complex. And so what we did instead is we just simplified the whole thing so that if you do if you do some like parsing operation and you get this decoded T, mm-hmm. if you just call optional on it, it will just turn it into decoded optional T mm-hmm. where it always succeeds. Like it cannot that will never fail, right? And it's like just a much more simple way of saying like, hey, this is optional. Right. right. Not this is optional, but I ha- because I use the framework enough or because I wrote the framework, I understand that it is optional under these specific circumstances. It's like none of that. It's just optional, period. Okay. Okay. So simplify cool. it just simplifies it a lot. And once we kind of said it, it was like, yeah, of, of course that's how this should work. <laughs> it's like this weird <laughs> thing where we put it back the way it was and then it was like, wait, wait a minute. Isn't this weren't we weren't we going down this road? Like this was causing, this has just caused us so many problems. Why the hell don't we just <laughs> do it the simple way? It's very funny. Right. So, the, you know, it's a maintenance release. Essentially, it's going to be like 4.0.1 or maybe 4. I might do it as 4.1 because it's re-adding some stuff that was gone. But, mm. and I guess it's, I guess Swift Package Manager supports technically a new feature. 
And how is that working? I because last time I heard you talking about that, you were you were having some frustrations around it. Yeah, it you know building is fine. Mm. It builds fine. The thing I was waiting for for Argo, the thing that I couldn't do, I couldn't add Swift Package Manager support to Argo before we released Runes was the issue. Mm-hmm. Runes okay. had to have a tagged release with Swift Package Manager support because it's a dependency of Argo. So right. now that Runes is released, Runes 4.0 is released, Argo can now declare Runes as a dependency hmm. in the package file, and it just builds. Uh, okay. I, you know, It took a little bit of project reorganization, which was like not a big deal. Basically, I just nested everything under a sources directory. Mm-hmm. But so building is done. It works. It took about five minutes once I moved everything and then re-hooked up the sources in Xcode. It's back to normal. Okay, cool. The only problem is you still can't test with Swift, like the Swift test, you know, the Swift, the testing right. support that comes in Swift Package Manager, because you still can't declare test dependencies with Swift Package Manager. In fact, after the 3.0.1 release, I guess, some point recently, they actually just removed it altogether because there used to be like a test dependencies key you could pass to the package mm-hmm. to say, like, and here are my test dependencies. And that was in incredibly frustrating because it absolutely just ignores it like at some point (laughs) that stuff got disconnected and so i'd sit there adding it and i'm just going like i don't understand this doesn't work and then i look in the source code and i'm going like how does this even compile i can't find this string test dependencies anywhere in the freaking project and it's because they (laughs) removed it at some point in the past and so i kind of i don't know what i really need to do is i need to open a thread on Swift build dev about this and kind of get some momentum behind it. Because once once Swift test works, I am mm-hmm. absolutely going to start looking at like, okay, CI now runs Swift test, not, mm. uh, not Xcode build test. And right. like all my local stuff, Swift test, like all of that stuff is going to move over to Swift test. I'll keep the projects around because I need them for Carthage support. But again, I think that Carthage could, in theory, move away from requiring projects. And if it's a Swift package, it could also then just generate an Xcode project for it to build. Right. So Yeah, that's not, that seems reasonable. Yeah. I'm itching to get that done. Yeah. So what exactly is missing? Like, you can't specify test dependencies. You can't specify dependencies that you need only for the tests that you don't need for other things. Is that right. what you're saying? Okay. Right. So, for example, in Runes we use Swift check as like the mm-hmm. testing framework and Swift right. check is an external dependency. I do not want to declare that as a dependency of runes. That would be crazy. So right. what I want to do is just declare it as a test only dependency. So that it's only included in the runes tests target mm-hmm. ditto for, similarly for Argo. Argo is a little more complicated, but for Argo, I need to be able to declare curry as a test dependency, not as a hard dependency, because it isn't a hard dependency, and I want to make that continue to make that clear. Okay. And so I want to be able to add curry as a test dependency. And then there's also this thing where we're using NS bundle a lot in Argo's test suite. Really? Yeah, for all the JSON stuff. So Ar- Argo's mm. tests depend on a lot of JSON fixtures, right? Right. Makes sense. It's a testing, it's a JSON parsing framework. We parse JSON yep. as a part of our tests. <laughs> um, so we use NS bundle a lot for pulling out those 
fixture files, I'm not entirely sure how that would work with Swift test. I think what I might have to do is remove the tests entirely from the Xcode project and instead use some like hard file lookup kind of stuff. Like literally, mm-hmm. like literally look for the file, you know, the JSON file at this path, like use relative path stuff right. um, to try to pull it out. I think think but i'm not positive that any of that since i haven't been able to get past the test dependency stuff i can't even start to think about the like test fixture stuff like that is that's probably workable either through like you you can find out when you run the tests like what working directory am i in when when this runs that's that's my hope yeah, and, and because if I'm not fine that, with it, that. it may be that it puts you in some weird, crazy location that is like you know where your build products are or something like that. But it's but even in that case, there's probably going to be an environment variable of some kind that names where the source directory is or something. There's there's probably a way to do that. Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic that I can make that work, even if it's ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? But the no test dependency thing is such a showstopper that it's there's not much for me to do beyond. You know, I put so like runes and Argo both have their tests set up to work with like they're in the right place. You know what I mean? The right. folder structure is correct for a Swift test. But you can't actually run Swift test with either of them. The tests fail immediately. Okay. Hmm. So that's where that's at. Nuts. But now that Argo has, where once we ship Argo with Swift Package Manager support, we can do that thing that I was saying before, where we submit it to the IBM IBM Swift Package repo thing, and then we could, in theory, have one of those Swift Playground, like online Swift Playgrounds with Argo already imported, because Curry's yeah. up there too. So we could already have, and Runes, I think, is up there. I don't actually know that any of these things are up there, but... In theory, we have Argo, Runes, and Curry all up there, and we have a live workspace that has all three of those imported, and we could just put a link in the README, and everything would be great. Yeah, that'd be cool to let people sort of try yeah. it out. Yeah, I was dealing. I mean, I, every time I would use it constantly because every time, like yesterday, last night, and this today, I was answering questions in Argo issues. And I was just like typing stuff out in GitHub because I didn't have Xcode installed. So I was like just typing crap out in GitHub going like, I don't know. I, this type checks in my brain, but I don't know that it really type checks in real life. So it's probably pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just not somewhere. a good way. It would have been so much easier for me to like pop open a thing and like actually write it out and then see, make sure it compiles and then just send them a link to the working, actually like working thing. Yeah, I know that I've done a lot of that in my day. Like just like writing stuff in emails or on forums, or whatever, saying this seems like it's probably the solution. <laughs> this I'm just writing like this. In, I'm yeah. just writing this in mail, so I haven't tried this, but this is right. probably it. And right. It's really gratifying. Sometimes people will write back like, "Hey, that was exactly it. Thanks." Oh yeah, if I if I can do that, especially with Argo, where it's like so type dependent, like anytime I'm able to do that, where it's like, "Oh, I copied that in there, it worked perfectly." It's like <laughs> that is incredible. Like I'm sorry, <laughs> like I need to take a second and appreciate that for a minute because, like, I just nailed that. It feels like you know, some hard puzzle that you know those people that solve puzzles that do like big like thousand piece puzzles, but they do them upside down, <laughs> where you can't see the picture. Have you not seen that? No, there are people no. that do puzzles. But they don't do the puzzles where you can see the photo. They do the puzzles with all the pieces face down. And it's like, that's what it feels like sometimes when I nail one of these Argo Argo questions <laughs> without a compiler. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
You up, should look that up. Up, it's really impressive. Upside down puzzle solving. That's yeah. Good. You should look it up. Yeah, that is like some kinds of programming. Totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of Argo, uh, you know we had to talk about this. Yeah. What's 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 the latest scoop on the uh, Swift JSON shootout? We were talking about this a bit. Kind of nothing. Okay. So I, I almost don't want to bring attention to it. But so someone wrote a, a GitHub, I don't know if you call it an article or what you call it, but there's a GitHub repo where someone did like, they wanted to evaluate a bunch of different JSON parsing libraries. And so they wrote like this pretty basic little app that parses a JSON file into models. And they used all these different JSON parsing libraries to do it. And then I, I think did benchmarks on it. Mm-hmm. And the end was, and then, and and so the end result was that they actually didn't even really fully evaluate Argo. Argo has like a footnote in there somewhere where it's like, what about Argo? And they said basically that it was like 15 times slower than the next slowest. Right. Or, or 15 times slower than the fastest or 15 times slower than like like the number 15 times. Like it was, they said that it was by far like the slowest json parsing framework out there and then they also said some stuff like that it was bloated because it requires curry and runes as extra dependencies and they also said that they had to mangle their model in order to get it to work right which doesn't seem right because i looked at the model and like i remember from you know back in the old days when argo was new and there was that limitation a very you know you couldn't have more than like a dozen things or whatever Right. But this is not even that. Like their model only had eight or nine things in it. Right. So like that can't have been correct. But right. then again, I have I have I haven't tried to look to see to see what the issue was. I mean I kinda of meant to take a look at it, but I right. haven't. And then kind of the weird the weird assertion that something is heavy because it contains runes. Like runes is not big. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Neither Curry is Argo. Is not big. Neither is Argo <laughs> for what it's worth. Argo right. is <laughs> under four hundred lines of code. The whole yeah. thing, including white space and comment and documentation. So it's like it's very hard for me to get behind like so and the, the JSON file that they were parsing is seven megabytes. So any hmm. performance benchmark at seven megabytes of a JSON file just feels disingenuous. Cause if you're pulling a seven megabyte JSON file over the wire, hmm. that's pretty unusual. Like how big is our big data json file so like, i guess the the one thing that i can think of that could be that could make a substantial difference in how not just argo but how any json framework could do that more quickly and more slowly would be in terms of if you are delving down into structures and the result of of unpacking that is never retained anywhere, and so every time you delve down into it, you have to sort of dig through it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which maybe what maybe what's going on. So, but, a few things. I, I want to get to that, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. No, but, no, just. But so, so a few things. One, our we have a test that tests like just basically a performance test that says like let's test like parse the biggest json file like bigger than any json file we reasonably make we made it huge in order to be able to see any difference at all you know what i mean like all this stuff is so fast that you need to get to these gigantic json files in order to see any real difference that you're making in terms of benchmarking yeah our big data json big data.json which is oh man this is gonna i 
this might crash my computer. <laughs> Big data.json is, let me count the zeros, 330,000 lines long. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a big JSON file. Yeah, you will seldom download anything that size from the web. If you do, you've made a huge mistake. Big data.json right. <laughs> is only 5.3 megabytes. And they're, right. he's using a 7 megabyte JSON file as their benchmark. It's like, okay, I mean, that's not... We wouldn't put our numbers for decoding big data.json out as our realistic performance numbers right. because you shouldn't be touching that size. Yeah, you know? that's not really the use case. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, like I said, like the idea that, that Argo is bloated is so just misinformed. Mm. It's just a complete misunderstanding about how our code is structured and a complete misunderstanding of what any of these libraries are doing. Like all three right. of these libraries are so small and so focused. That's why we made them that way, right? It's like, yes, it's two extra dynamic libraries that you have to pull in. But, I, you know, I think it's a reasonable trade-off to make. And I don't think it makes our libraries bloated. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think that our libraries exactly. are slimmer because of the fact that we've broken them up. Right. Like I think that ironically, the author of this article would have preferred to see that Argo just had runes right. and curry right inside of it and would have considered that to be less bloated. Right. When but that's, clearly that's, that's actually the opposite. It's the wrong, <laughs> it would have been the wrong move from a product standpoint, right? And right. from a good citizen of the, of the community, that would have been the wrong... Like, can you imagine if we just shipped 20 implementations of curry and all these weird things inside just directly inside Argo, it's like it, mm. we wouldn't be compatible with so many other things at that point. We would conflict all the freaking time. Right. And we would force stuff on our users that we just don't want to force on our users. And I think this is the thing where people, at a certain stage, people expect to see or want to see kind of one mega framework that incorporates all the pieces of itself and is just like, pretend that is just one thing, right? And right. like I can use this one thing and not think about that, okay, behind this simple interface, you know, there's a huge ton of stuff that's all sucked down there into the same module in the same namespace. And I think about, you know, something like like Ruby on Rails, right, mm -hmm. which has gone through the journey of being this huge monolithic thing and over a lot of pain over years has been somewhat pulled apart. So you can use just the core of it. You can sort of choose parts of it because people realize over time, okay, having one giant framework of everything is not really what you want for modularity's yeah. sake. You actually want to not have that. And then that's amplified if you look at the way Phoenix works. But like Phoenix no. is very much kind of a reimagining of Rails. Mm -hmm. And one of the very specific things that they did was they pulled it apart even more where like mm -hmm. everything is decoupled. So you can like update the entire rendering engine aside from any of the rest of the app, right? So you can like if you if you can fix a bug in the rendering engine in the HTML engine and mm -hmm. just use a newer version of that or use an older version of that and upgrade everything else. So hmm. like that level of modularity to me it's clearly a better solution than kind of massive mono frameworks. Right. All that to say that I have no illusions at all about the fact that there's definitely performance tuning that we could do and probably mm -hmm. should do in Argo. I have no problem in being the slowest or one of the slowest JSON parsing frameworks out there if 
the numbers are presented realistically because I think realistically, mm. realistically, these are numbers that you're not going to notice that you may hit performance issues, but the performance issues are almost always going to be around Swift because we're doing so little and, and that there are mm. almost certainly places that we could use. We've had a couple, not false starts, but like Tony specifically has done a couple like explorations into trying to do some stuff asynchronously to speed things mm-hmm. up. And, and there's actually an open pull request that we're trying to figure out what to do with right now. That's like, has a pretty significant speed increase, but it's always like, well, this is going to sacrifice some of the purity of what we have right now. Mm-hmm. And if this is solving a real problem, then that's fine. And we've done that stuff, right? We've done things right. where it's like, like we went through and removed the use of reduce, basically from the framework entirely because mm-hmm. reduce was so slow that people were saying ridiculous performance hits just by us using reduce right on real data like on real not gigantic not obscenely large data that's where a lot of these these big data json parsing tests came from was like okay well how bad is this really and right. we were able to seriously increase it to the point where like I don't know. I'm I'm more interested in real world benchmarks than I am fictional seven megabyte benchmarks. Mm-hmm. And I find it frustrating and disingenuous to have that kind of information presented in that specific way where like the author clearly didn't really understand how Argo's supposed to work, how Argo does work, or why it made the decisions that it makes. Like right. presenting as if it's an all or nothing thing, it just feels I want to use the word unfair, but that's that feels a little crybaby to me. You know what I mean? It's not it's not yeah. that it's unfair. It it is it's somewhat uninformed. Yeah. And then we end up getting issues on Argo that are like, "Hey, what do you think about this? This person says you're the worst JSON parsing framework." It's like, "Well, that sucks." <laughs> like, how do you think I feel about that? That doesn't feel <laughs> great at all. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Wait, do you like to make issues about that? There was one issue, and that's not how it was worded. <laughs> okay. uh, it was it was worded as let me pull it up so I actually get it right. <laughs> the title was "Worst Performing JSON Mapping Framework." It was like, <laughs> "Hi guys, any comments on these benchmarks?" And is a link to that JSON shootout, which now that I have open, yeah. I will put in the uh, in the thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think you know, like you say, it's you know again similar to what what I was saying also about whether you have a. 2.7 or 2.9 megahertz CPU. Like these are things that are not going to be what you're noticing as a problem in the real world because you're not going to have a 7 megabyte JSON file. Right. I hope, you know, again, like like you said, if you if you are then you're probably doing something wrong. But then again, we're in a world where what was it? there's I saw something the other day where some like typical article page on CNET or something was 160 megabytes with all like the images and crap it downloaded uh, like we i mean we as a profession if i include everyone who is producing web content or whatever are apparently terrible at thinking about hey maybe we shouldn't send down the equivalent of half of a cd rom full of right. stuff when someone clicks a clicks a link right but yeah i mean i think people who are doing reasonable application development will try to make it so that they are not sucking down seven megs at a time in a single request and then yep. wading through all of it. Yep. I don't know. So I guess, I guess like long term, I would love for 
I would love for help on this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. I would absolutely love for performance help. If people actually want it, like if people want to get involved with Argo, like that is a very clear thing for us to work on, right? Is our object yeah. specifically, you know, just the mapping of objects. And yes, it's almost certainly related to what you mentioned of that. Like we parse things multiple times. Like if you dig through a tree, mm-hmm. Like, here's a pretty common example, right? If you have a root key, mm-hmm. if you pull the root key out and then pass the JSON into the, the decoder or the parser, mm-hmm. into the decode method, then we just will decode everything from that point on, right? Obviously, because that's what you've handed right. us. But if you use the array syntax to pull out that root key mm-hmm. for each property, well, then we're decoding that root key for each property. Right. You're adding one more decode step by not pulling that out earlier, right? Right. And this is something where it seems to me that if Swift suddenly got better at understanding when a function was pure, then it could do things like Haskell, I think, can do, where it can actually cache the result of, okay, I know that I've called this function already before with the exact same parameters, so I know the result. So I can just keep this result, and if next time these come in the same way, I'm just going to return that thing I already have. Yeah. Like, if Swift suddenly acquired that ability, like, it would just, you know, it would make Argo suddenly a thousand times faster or whatever, right? Because it would, in, the, in those cases, it would never have to redo that stuff again. But right yeah. now, as it is, you'd, it would be kind of a pain in the ass to do that ourselves, I guess, and yeah, there's something there, but I just can't see it, right? Yeah. And and like I said, like we've had attempts down that road, but nothing we haven't taken it far enough. And maybe, you know, maybe that's something that I'll take a stab at at some point. But I you know, the other thing is just how much time I have. Like <laughs> you know, it's just right. there's so much stuff going on and there's so many other things. And again, I don't necessarily like I don't hear a lot about this being a real issue in real life for people. What right. I do hear is that this is an issue when people are parsing unrealistically large JSON files. We don't get performance, not anymore. I mean, there was a big performance thread and mm. we kind of got it to a reasonable place and I haven't heard anything since then. Right. So my point being that there are just other things that end up grabbing my attention or feeling more important, like for example, shipping Swift package manager support or fixing mm-hmm. this bug as that, you know, from the Swift changes. Like those are things that I feel like I need to fix now. I don't feel that same way about performance. Right. Even though I know that it's like a thing that I would like to improve at some point. Yeah. You always want to get, make it better, but at some point, if this is good enough that it works in the real world and it is, and it does, then there's not much to complain about. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's way longer than I wanted to spend talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we I had I had to bring it up. I know you did. <laughs> but yeah, I think that yeah, it, it's nothing. It's nothing to worry about. You know, it would be nice, but again, it's you know, like I said, it's not. It's not a real world concern. Yeah, I mean, if anyone you know, if anyone is more performance minded than I am, which doesn't take a whole lot because I'm not the most performance conscious person on the face of the planet. Mm. You know, I will help walk through any of the Argo stuff that you don't understand if this is something that you're interested in taking on, is I guess what I would say. Like, I understand that Argo isn't the easiest framework to dive into and just start working on, but I am more than willing to assist 
as much as I can anyone with a more performance minded bent that wants to try to solve this to some extent. Right. Cool. Anyway, All right. All right. Should we wrap this wrap? up? Yeah. Yeah, I got to go to the it. gym, pick up All heavy right. things. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> and then I got to watch the World Series. You watching the World Series? What time does it yeah, start me, there? Two, yeah, 1 a.m., 2 a.m.? Yeah, no, I'm not watching it. It's super late. <laughs> yeah. And I think like there, this is not an event that Swedish media is covering. I have oh, no idea how, how I would watch it. The Super Bowl is broadcast here. Yeah. The World Series, it might be. I uh, I have like 20 sports channels on my cable system. It probably is somewhere, actually, now I think about it. 108 years, man. That's a long time. It's a long time. A There's long some history time. there. There's a lot of history there. One last, sorry, one last <laughs> One last thing is that that there there are some African American players on the Cubs, and they're actually the first black players to ever play in the World Series for the Cubs. Because the last time the Cubs were in the World Series, black people weren't allowed to play baseball. So that's oh that. man, that was it that long? Yes, nineteen forty-five. So, okay, so that's End what people talk about the Cubs in the World Series as this. That's the last thing, time they were been that long. That's the last time they were in the World Series. Right. They haven't won the World Series for one hundred eight years. <laughs> It's been a century, uh, but yeah, when you put it in like, like when you frame it like that, it's like holy shit, really. Um, okay, anyway, let's wrap up. Uh, show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm/slash one fourteen. And as always, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So you can reach us on Twitter. We're at buildphase, and via email, hosts at buildphase.fm. And as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are greatly appreciated. Good. Did it. All right. Talk to you later. All right. See ya. See ya.